Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This podcast exists because of the paid members at decodingtv.com. If you are enjoying our recaps and reviews of shows like Andor, The Rings of Power, House of the Dragon, and She-Hulk Attorney at Law, you can support this podcast network by going to decodingtv.com, become a paid member, get ad-free episodes, early access to episodes, exclusive bonus episodes, a lot of great stuff. Thanks to everyone at decodingtv.com for making this podcast possible. I'm just a tourist. Oh, apologies all round then. This used to be a six-month sentence. Six years. Six years? No, no, wait. Change of guidelines. I didn't do anything. Hey. Take it up with the emperor. Wait. I'm just a tourist. Wait. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I am David Chen. And I'm Patrick Willems. Welcome to the podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be discussing Andor, season one, episode seven, entitled Announcement. Pretty terrible episode for... uh, a terrible title for an episode, in my opinion. Um, not not love an announcement. I know it's like I understand the symbolic importance of it, but pretty pretty blah generic term. What do you think, Patrick? Am I giving the show a hard time right off the bat? Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it is uh, TV episode titles are not especially important. Uh, mm-hmm usually most the casual viewers of television episodes do not even remember titles of episodes yeah even say it on screen um yeah i mean i think it would be improved if it were even just called an announcement (laughs) yes i i think putting announcement there makes me feel like something went wrong with my disney plus app and like they meant to put an announcement there instead of the word announcement exactly so uh anyway uh, it does seem like the, they're going for the simplest possible titles with this show. Agreed. Like, it, does, it feels it feels like they're putting a lot less work into the titles than the show itself, which I which I'm okay with. If if that's a place where the creativity needs to go away, then I'm okay with it being the episode titles. This is the kind of piercing insight you can expect on Decoding TV podcasts. Find more episodes of the show at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. and find us and follow us on TikTok. Twitter, and YouTube at Decoding TV. And be sure to comment and give us your opinions on these episode titles. Yes, agreed. Okay. Uh, before we get into Season 1, Episode 7 of Andor, uh, let's do a couple quick follow-ups from last week. As in the part where we find out what Patrick was wrong about. Correct. That's Correct. really what this is becoming. Well, okay, first of all, Here's a topic that I don't think either of us was wrong about, but a lot of people commented about where the episode was shot and uh, last episode was shot. We loved last episode called The Eye. 
and I'm going to butcher this, so I apologize, but I believe it's Kruashan or Kruashan Power Station is what the name of the power station in Loch Awe, Scotland, I believe it is. David, I, th- yeah. I think the thing about the name of this dam is that I think it is literally impossible to to pronounce without a thick Scottish accent. <laughs> yes. I think so. I think you uh, uh, you have to say it something like Kraken. Yeah, Kraken. Um, yes, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Like rolling Kruak- your R's. Kruak- By the way, uh, yeah. um, uh, apologies to the lovely people of Scotland uh, for probably mispronouncing this. Scotland is a great place. I love it, and I I'm not actually sure how to pronounce this. Okay, but Kraken Dam in Loch Awe, Scotland. Apparently, that is where uh, the eye was shot. Um, last episode of Andor, and uh, it's like a real life place. And what's cool is you can compare the photos of the real life place with uh, what how it appears in the episode, and you can see kind of some of the digital augmentations they made. But if the physical location they shot at feels real, it's because mostly it is, uh, and it looks amazing. So yeah, this makes a lot of sense because I think we were talking about this last time. How we were like, is this like? an astounding feat of visual effects because how is the geography so clear? Mm-hmm. How is this place in every shot? Cause like they can't build an entire dam yes. for this episode and they can't do this all with CGI. So just but a it's, great it's, location seem, it's seamless the way they combined it with uh, sets and with the, the backgrounds of Aldani that they had to create in a computer, presumably. So uh, really well done. Yeah. Okay. Uh, on last week's episode of the podcast, Patrick Willems remarked that perhaps this is one of the first times that synths were used in Star Wars. Uh, a couple people wrote in correcting that that is not the case. Um, Lance wrote in, uh, this isn't the first time we've heard synths in Star Wars scores. The most notable example is Gorenson's theme for the Dark Troopers, which was fittingly very synth and digital heavy. I'm sure there's more, but that one immediately comes to mind. So uh, synths have been used in Star Wars before, but I think, Patrick, the spirit of what you said is correct which is that they are used quite rarely in Star Wars, right? Uh, it's often orchestral, John Williams-inspired stuff, uh, not really heavy on synths, but it, they yeah. have been used before. And and even, you know, like, I've watched all of The Mandalorian, and even most of... Uh, uh, actually, actually I, 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 I learned a thing recently. Uh, when I was in Sweden over the summer, I was talking to someone, and um, and apparently his name is pronounced... Uh, it's it's Ludwig Jorensen. Mm. Uh, we're all all us Americans are saying that we're wrong. just butchering names left and right on this episode. Uh, deepest apologies. I but... mean, isn't that what Americans are known for? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but his score for the Mandalorian is mostly you know it, it, it's very like Sergio Leone. I uh, sorry 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 uh, uh, Ennio Morricone like uh, like Western inspired. And I had just totally forgotten that there are synths in there, but. I feel like the stuff at the end of episode six in in Brattel's music here, and especially stuff we'll get into, some of his music in the new episode, definitely sound like new sonic territory for Mm -hmm. Star Wars, far from what we're used to. Indeed. All right. Well, you can always write into us at decodingtv at gmail.com. We also enjoy the comments over at youtube.com slash decodingtv. That's where we get a lot of our feedback from as well. All right, Patrick, let's dive into it. Season one, episode seven of Andor. Uh, this one's entitled Announcement. As usual, Patrick, let's start with overall thoughts. What do you think of this episode? I, what, once again, uh, an episode that I really liked. It's uh, obviously 
no one expected like a repeat of the suspenseful action filled uh you know heist of episode six inevitably this was going to be in like an aftermath of the heist episode yeah but uh for an episode that is mostly a just a series of uh just conversations between people in rooms i was just thinking man i am uh riveted by all of this i i i I'm I'm interested in every storyline that, that that is happening. Um, and also, one thing that really became very clear to me in this episode in particular, I know in our last episode, I was remarking on how Cassian very much felt like did not feel like the, necessarily the protagonist, just felt like a member of the team. Uh, and in this episode in particular, it, I feel like it became very clear that even though this show is called Andor, this is 100 percent an ensemble piece uh, where, you know, the title character will have equal screen time with several other characters, characters who have not even met him before. Um, and uh, because, yeah, this was not just the episode that that followed Cassian Andor on all the stuff that he was up to after the heist. This was an episode that, that was kind of just about how the heist impacted the galaxy and, right. and so many people across there. And um I I really liked it. I what can I mention one thing that I, I learned about this Please. episode? We've talked a lot on this. I'm show. never gonna say no to that question unless okay. we're running two plus hours long on this True. podcast. And I I will really try to make sure that doesn't happen. <laughs> so we've talked a lot on this show about how uh this season of Andor is constructed in three episode arcs. Yeah. Uh, Tony Gilroy has talked about that a lot. You know, each arc usually has like one main writer, one main director, uh, these little like story arcs. And this episode is not part of an arc. Uh, I just shortly before our recording, I listened to uh, this interview Tony Gilroy did back in September around when the show was premiering on the Empire Film Podcast. And he explained in a bit more detail there. He was like, episode seven. It's kind of a stand a standalone little transition episode mm, before the next three episode arc, and then the last two episodes. I see. I was, are I was like, how, that, how do the numbers work out then? That doesn't make any sense. But yeah, yeah. okay. So it's going to be one transition episode, a three episode arc, and then a two episode arc. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, with that in mind, my overall thoughts were that it felt like a transition episode. You know, um, there are some flashes of really cool stuff in here, uh, and and a lot to like. But I would say this is probably one of the weaker episodes of the whole bunch, if, if taken as an individual episode, which I think we have we kind of have to do as we're recapping it on this podcast, Decoding TV. Uh, as a standalone episode, it's fine. It's not like amazing. There's some cool stuff in it. Certainly not bad. Um, but it, it really did feel very transitionary, um, very, very much like it's in between big things that are happening. I do think that something that we only touched upon in our last week conversation is that the show takes a, a quasi big swing with Andor not becoming radicalized at the end of the heist. I think you and I thought there was at least a significant possibility that by the end of that episode, he's going to be like, okay, let's go join the rebellion now. Right? Like, I mean, I don't know about you, but like, I thought it was at least possible. Oh, Nemec's dead. Like we're going to go join the rebellion and fight on his honor or some, something like that. Um, 
that obviously did not happen, which I, I was quite surprised by. You know, I've, I did not know that he would still need radicalizing at the end of the last episode. So the show has basically exposed him to what the rebellion is like. And now it's like saying, okay, we're taking him back. He's still in it for himself. And he needs to go on this journey that we know he's going to go on to become a rebel uh, or a captain in the Rebel Alliance. Um, uh, and we'll yeah. say, as another as we learn in this episode, not everyone in the, in quotes, rebellion is equally radicalized right now. Yes, very true, very true. But uh, basically, I think I bring it up just to say that, like, we still have a lot longer in Andor's arc than I thought. And I believe the second season of Andor has already been greenlit, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so I'm really glad at that because I just have a feeling, I, I mean, from everything we know, he is not going to reach the end of his journey as of the end of season one. It's not like by the end of season one, he's a rebel captain and then he's going on rebel captain adventures for season two, like is my understanding. So I will be very upset if season two does not happen for some reason. Um, but as far I, as we know, everything is full steam ahead. I mean, it um, seems like, uh, I think has Tony Gilroy said they start shooting in November? Right. Uh, it it seems like this was like from the get go, like green lit as a two season show. Yeah. Like this was yeah. kind of always going to happen. And, uh, be, you know, there was like some talk on Twitter this week about how apparently Andor has, has like, I guess, I mean, Disney Plus doesn't release like ratings or like viewership numbers, but I guess it has like fewer like social media impressions compared to other Star Wars shows. It's the, highly the, likely that at this point, Andor is not doing as well in terms of ratings or social media mentions as other Star Wars Disney Plus shows like The Mandalorian. Right? I guess it's uh, shocking that a, a a supporting character who dies in one Star Wars movie did not get the casual fans quite as excited to watch a show as uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> I mean, it's certainly not shocking, Patrick, as your dripping with sarcastic or uh, sarcasm comment indicates. But it is still disappointing, you know. Uh, I, you and I both think the show is great, and more people should be watching it. And hopefully, my guess is there's there's a lot of people that are going to wait until the end and binge the whole thing. And I actually think that might be a better way to watch it. So, I mean, um, I, I think this is a show that, especially if you look at how it's designed. Uh, and like, and how it's structured. Um, this is, a, I think this is going to be a real word of mouth show. I think yeah. this is going to be one of those things that a lot of people will catch up on between seasons one and two, because like, I mean, honestly, the biggest pr problem with the, the, the audience for this show is that, um, a lot of people were fairly justifiably like felt kind of burned or let down by other, yes. By just other the, Star by, Wars shows. Yeah. By just, uh, most star wars stuff for the past mm -hmm. like five years and uh and we're probably just, just like oh god and now a prequel about some guy who already died in 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 some movie uh that i might not even love like what what's the i mean if it weren't for tony gilroy i also might be like what's the point of this show yeah and uh and so look i i feel like we encounter every time we tweet about the show people are just like uh is it really that good? Because like I didn't want to watch another Star Wars show. So like yeah. people, we're just like, look, David, we're like, we're like 
the rebellion in Andor in, in, in the early stages. We're just mm-hmm. slowly getting more and more people on. We're radicalizing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's it. We're, we're, uh, we're radicalizing the moderates um, mm-hmm. who, who, who think that like, oh, maybe I don't know about Star Wars. Do I want to commit to another one of those? And we're, and we're saying like, no, you do. You do. J- <laughs> jump on board. J- like join us. This, this, this is where you want to be. Mm-hmm. 100%. 100%. We're heroes. Uh, that said, Patrick, if I was going to get people on board, this is not the first episode I'd show them. Uh, is what is a thought that had occurred to me. Is like, no, mm, this is not not a, a particularly action packed episode. To be but. fair, I wouldn't show them episode six, and that's the best episode because mm. he, he, I, might, I thought about showing my wife just episode six. You know, but, but like, you're you're right. You're right. You really need the four, five, six buildup at least. You, you do, know? and it's the same thing. Like this episode, not. The, the most thrilling in in the whole season but also like i would not call this episode unnecessary uh yeah. i feel like I, I agree completely i agree completely. Yeah. you know you know what i like about this episode is uh i think you and i were wondering are we ever going to see ferrix again like are we ever going to see cinta again it's very possible this show was just going to leave all those characters behind we never see them again um but what's great about a show like andor is uh, it shows you the consequences of the events that have happened in previous seasons. It goes back to these worlds again, and uh, it really makes it feel like a living, breathing world as opposed to just like a, we're tourists just stopping by each planet on the way and nothing that happens is of any consequence, right? Unlike potentially other shows we might be covering on the Decoding TV network that shall remain nameless. So anyway, let's get into the episode. Let's season do it. one, episode seven. There are four plot lines in this episode, basically, four main plot lines. Uh, and so we'll cover a couple of them. We'll take a quick break and then we'll cover the, the rest of them. But let's start with uh, Coruscant, with Karn. We're hanging out with Karn. Uh, been a while since we've had some, uh, some really Karn-heavy storylines, which I've obviously missed. Uh, um, David, may I coin a term? Please. Uh, when, we, when we get uh, Karn material on the show... Yes. Yes. Uh, you know, you could, you could, as much as I don't usually like this word, you could call it content. Um, I'm going to say we're getting some good content uh, wow. in this episode. Uh, potentially, if you are a fan of the Karn storyline, you are a Carney. Carney, you know? So, yes, yes. Carnies I, I, love the content. Wh- okay, wait, David, David, uh, is there official Decoding TV merchandise yet? Because <laughs> I think you put, you put, I'm, uh, I, I'm a carny for that content. For that content. You put that yeah. on shirts. You put that on mugs. Yeah. I think that is going to be a major new revenue stream for you. You know what? Here's what I'm going to say, Patrick. Let's wait until the end to see where the Karn storyline goes. Because uh, if he like presses the button on the Death Star to murder an entire village or something like that, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold off on. I mean, he's he's already responsible for the death of several men, uh, several of his own men. Oh. David, um, what could go wrong? He's just a a, a, a budding fascist uh, who's desperate to 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 rise among the ranks of uh, of the Galactic Empire. Yeah, you know, n- no way that plotline could go south. Never. It's like it's like the people that named their children Daenerys Targaryen. You know, before season eight of Game of Thrones, it's like except. Uh, this is dumber because again, he is explicitly a guy who who wants to rise among the ranks of a fascist institution. He is 
Daenerys, at least for a very long time, it's like, oh yeah, I don't know. She's like, uh, you know, she's a, doing cool stuff. She's re- rebelling against the oppressors, you know. Right. Like, she's freeing slaves. She's a feminist yeah. icon. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, like like girl boss with dragons. I uh, Car- the, the thing Car- about- from the start has been a reprehensible character. I think is what many people think. The right? thing that I love about Karn is that <laughs> he sucks more than almost anyone on television right now. Mm-hmm. As in, he's just he's he he's screws up constantly he's living with his overbearing mom he's eating cereal with blue milk his uncle harlow is having to come in and help him get a job he's got action figures in his room and he just really wants to like work in law enforcement and like stop these people who are you know who disrespected the company and um he does he's such a loser and i love him i want i i would i anytime karn is on when Karn isn't on screen, all the other characters should be asking, where's Karn? Where's Karn? Karn? <laughs> all right. So we see Karn interact with his overbearing mom. She is not treating him particularly like an adult, uh, further infantilizing him in the eyes of the audience. Uh, Karn learns about the attack on Aldani via a news report. And I, I was wondering, I didn't know that there was like a Imperial equivalent of Fox News. Uh, I didn't know if that was like a thing, you know, I just am not familiar enough with Star Wars to know like what the media landscape is in, in the Star Wars universe. Well, um, uh, te- television in their world. Um, I learned about this from reading uh, the Revenge of the Sith novelization, mm-hmm. um, which is much better than the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, they mostly get news through what's called the hollow net mm. uh, as in the hologram as in like hollow is in hologram. Um, but yeah, that's usually how how news spreads in the galaxy. Yeah, so maybe it's been depicted before. I'm not saying it hasn't, so don't you don't need to write in. But I, it was the first time I can recall seeing like a news report in the Star Wars universe, and obviously, it kind of opens up all these questions of how that works and how the economy of news functions in the Star Wars universe. Maybe we'll revisit those in the future. But anyway, he, it, I just thought it was notable that they had him here via news as opposed to. A friend told him about it, or 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 he was listening on the ham radio in his room, or something like that. So, David, what friends? <laughs> okay, uh, I don't think we meet Uncle Harlow in this episode, so maybe they're saving the Uncle Harlow reveal for like uh, some stunt casting. I think that's possible later, right? Um, maybe, uh, yeah. or maybe we'll just never see Uncle Harlow. We'll just wonder about him, yeah, for the whole show. But anyway, he, he's he shows up at uh, this kind of bureaucratic office the bureau of standards i believe it's called i i love this name Mm -hmm. well there's many uh moments in this episode that evoke brazil to me um from different plot lines uh but this is one of them terry gilliam's movie brazil uh and you see kind of this mass of space cubicles uh, where everyone just kind of sits in the, this office that looks exactly, you know, they look like all exactly the same, like they're doing the same task. And they have an opening in fuel purity. And the idea is that they understand, they are aware of Karn's past troubles with the Empire, um, but they're, they're willing to give him a chance because obviously Uncle Harlow has put in a good word for him. Um, so this job will be an opportunity for him to work his way back up. Uh, we also, uh, one thing that I thought was interesting about this episode is that it felt to me, uh, me who who's like 
you know, not an extreme Star Wars fan, but, uh, you know, I I have, like, I, I'll say a mid-level knowledge of Star Wars sure. stuff. You're a middle-class Star Wars content creator, even though you don't like that term. Exactly. Um, um, you're, but, you're a, yeah, yeah, but go ahead. Um, also, David, content creator, please. Um, uh-huh. So uh-huh. this episode... And this is not a criticism, but like a couple of times it made me a little bit nervous. Like we've talked before on the show about mm-hmm. how Andor has very much avoided the kind of like Leo pointing meme, like Easter egg type cameos that yes. we're that we've been accustomed to from Star Wars stuff for a while. Yeah. And this episode, uh, in just a few ways, uh like at least like I noticed what seemed a bit more like either references or like connections or Easter eggs more so than other episodes. Um, but they never derailed things. And, uh, and sometimes when I got a little bit nervous that like, it might go a bit too far with that. It, it pulled back. But, uh, when, when Karn is having his, I guess, job interview walking through the Bureau of Standards, we did see a little mouse droid, uh, you know, one, one of the little ones famous from, uh, you know, a, a new hope, just like running along the floor. Then he and then yeah. he dodges out of the way. So that little kind of thing to make people go like, oh, oh, it's that thing. It's it's making the sound that it makes. So you know, we 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 had we had a couple little things like that. You know, what we'll get into later is we had another familiar droid appear. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Uh, good catch, Patrick. Really subtle reference that one. Um, the, the next one, I mean, not the the mouse droid is like fairly subtle, but anyway. Okay, uh, so that's Karn, and uh, the final shot of him looking at a computer screen, we are not clear what he's doing exactly, but it kind of pulls back and you see the sea of cubicles, and you see how dehumanizing kind of working for the Empire is. Also, a lot of uh, Severance vibes, if you've seen the Apple TV Plus show, Severance. I have, um, and I also thought of it. Yeah, the idea uh, behind that show is the characters in that show are working on these vague numerical tasks whose provenance and purpose is not entirely clear um but ultimately you suspect it might be pointless you know like uh, that kind of vibe so anyway that is the content for this week any other thoughts on the current stuff i just i i really well first of all uh he it seems like a, a a position opens up for him in fuel purity yeah which is you know <laughs> If you really had to imagine what is the most boring job in the entire galaxy you could have, I would think maybe sitting in a space cubicle uh, working for the Bureau Bureau of Standards overseeing fuel purity. Mm-hmm. That sounds mm-hmm. about as boring as you can get. But I, I really love the final images of this episode where we return to Karn, we see like his little computer screen, the green light hitting his eyes and then he just kind of looks up and then we see and we just pull back in like a series of kind of like staggered increasingly wide shots uh where we're getting like very like real severance vibes there of just like looking down at at the sea of cubicles but he's kind of slouched in his seat a little bit Mm -hmm. just looking Mm -hmm. up as as if you, you can see him like like dreaming of just like being in a higher position than than where he is. He is right. down at the bottom. Also, 
One thing I, I also want to mention about Karn, once again, like in the first episode, we uh, we have a reference to him getting his clothing tailored. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had the color raised on his brown suit. Uh, so this is a guy who really who really does put in the effort to you know, try to, to, to dress the part. And his mother is complaining about how, I guess his, uh, she says like, they're not looking for an individual, like wearing a, a brown suit is going to stand out too much and, you know, make him seem like a free thinker. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Certainly that's what you think when you see that guy. Oh, yeah. But I'm cur- I am curious where the content is going, right? Like, um, he's clearly still obsessed with Andor, uh, and he's probably going to try to get himself in a position where he can do, he can try to do something with Andor, but I suspect he's going to lose because Andor lives through this show, right? So he's not going to kill Andor. He's not going to imprison Andor, at least not permanently. So unless probably... he's the guy on the death star who presses the button that shoots that, uh, that, that, that laser beam into, uh, into, um, <laughs> Uh, oh my Scarif. god, Scarif, Scarif. And, yeah. uh, and and kills him. Wouldn't that be that would be a, that would be incredible? Like, imagine at the final episode of season two of Andor, flash forward like ten years to the end of Rogue One. Karn is the one pushing the button. <laughs> and Amazing. The, and the final line of the entire series is Karn going, "Gotcha." <laughs> Hits the button. Um, I gotta say, Tell to- Cersei, it was me. Anyway, okay, go ahead, <laughs> Tony Gilroy. There's plenty of time to add this in uh mm. also just hire us for yes. season two writers oh, um, i mean certainly certainly okay um but, but no, the but, other thing um but i, I think i think they're in all seriousness they're they're probably setting him up for like a a a, a more risky rise and then a even more precipitous fall than he has already had is my guess as to where the car the car intent is going what i'm honestly expecting is that he's going to get linked up with dedra miro Mm. And that because she is doing her own investigation. Yeah, yeah. And I could see that leading to to him, uh, him being probably the most knowledgeable person about what happened there on Ferrix. And so that's my guess, that in yeah. her investigation, she'll come to him and then he'll jump at he's the opportunity. Like, yeah, he's like, one condition, get me out of fuel purity, you know? Yep. And yeah, yeah. Uh, well, speaking of Dedramiro, we get a lot of scenes with the Imperial Security Bureau this week. Uh, we learn about all the steps that they're taking to retaliate against anyone that might dare go against the Empire. A tribute tax. Um, there's going to be punishment for the use of any local custom as cover for rebelling, uh, sorry, uh, rebel activity. Um, will trigger, quote, a permanent revocation of Imperial tolerance. End quote. And I think part of guess is I spoke with the emperor last night, which I nope. think is. Inter- uh, 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 or, oh, no, no. It's a part of Gass's boss, right? Excuse me. This is important. Yes. This is very important. Yes. Uh, we have a new character on the show who is not a new character to Star Wars. Mm, yeah. So the new guy who comes in, Colonel Wolf Ularen. Yeah. Uh, Wolf Ularen uh, originally appeared in A New Hope. Um, also to be clear, I didn't know this until yesterday. Uh, I'm not that much of a, a, a star Wars expert. Um, but he, okay. You know, in a new hope, when you see, uh, Vader talking, uh, to all the, the Imperial people in that room with the big circular table, you know, where he like force chokes the guy. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Wolf Ularen wearing the white uh, ISB uniform is one of the guys at that table. Looking more or less like this guy, mustache, white hair, and everything. Um, but he was also apparently uh, a fairly significant supporting character on the Clone Wars animated show, where he was a person, you know, as uh, he was like a general in in the or maybe not a general, but like he was a, he worked with Anakin Skywalker during the Clone Wars and was a, apparently like pretty kind of a good guy, or at least like coded as like this is a. This, he's he's on the good side. Uh, he's a good mm-hmm. guy, and I think this is really interesting to that, now show him on this show, where they're kind of showing how a person who seemed like honorable uh, as part of like you know on the good side of a war, uh, I guess can just like without realizing it get absorbed into like this fascist regime and still thinking that he's still serving like the same cause that he was back then yeah yeah Uh, also i think this is the first time we've heard emperor palpatine mentioned by name on the show exactly and i've always wondered like what how does it organize like this emperor palpatine like emperor palpatine has meetings with people he has like regular (laughs) check-ins He has a daily stand-up, basically. Emperor Palpatine does, and uh, and you're gonna get a, the, the, some of the texture of that in in this episode, basically. Um, yeah, it's also funny to imagine him talking like that, right? Yeah. You know, here, here's the agenda for the daily stand-up. Like, hey, let's do the check-in with Wolf. Hey, Wolf, how's Sector One Through Eight doing? You know, like. Um, but anyway. Uh, great call out, Patrick. And yeah, it seems like Wolf is uh, like higher up on the chain than than Partagas, even right. Yeah. So I was like, oh my gosh, we're introduced to yet another person that these people need to impress, right? Yep. Um, it's uh, it, but- it, it never ends. But one thing that I think is especially here is worth mentioning is I remember I I think you were saying or we were discussing in our last episode like how big this robbery actually was mm-hmm. and um and i think i mean it's very clear now it's like okay this is a major thing yeah. and i i was uh i looking back at, at some just some some bits of episode six and i guess when you break it down as i so i think they sold what was it, like 80 million credits but it it was the quarterly payroll for a sector mm-hmm. so like a quarter of the year, but for like multiple planets. Right. That that, that right. is fairly significant. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and it's cool to see how these these actions reverberate throughout the galaxy. Like, oh, of course, it's going to cause them to tighten that, to clamp down on these these activities, and a lot of people will end up getting hurt as a result. And we see some of that in this episode as well. Um, but. We also see Dedra Miro. She is asking one of her underlings, I think called Felzonis, I believe, or something something with an F. The guy sleeping on the job. Yeah, the guy sleeping on the job. And she she wants a multi-sector data blend going back two years of all missing avionics, comms, navigation, and targeting equipment for all star systems, end quote, which sounds like a massive undertaking. Uh, and... She, uh, she's the guy's like, okay, um, that sounds like a lot of work. And she's like, do you have a problem? Like, do I have, do I make myself clear? Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, again, I, I think it's so fascinating how much this show is focused on what in the business world we would call organizational behavior, um, 
the nature of these bureaucracies and how they work and how how basically corporations i guess you, you know technically it's um it's a governmental organization i think but like but a lot of what i'm seeing in the show mirrors what i've witnessed in corporations you know uh, which is what most people i think would be are, would be familiar with which is how again it it always feels like there's someone else to be accountable towards up the chain um the pe- the people who are the underlings like you know the the amount of work kind of cascades and becomes more exponential as you go down the chain which is what we see in this scene um but then later on there's a scene with partigas giving everyone hell he's giving everyone a hard time uh and then blevin go- goes public against miro because i think i guess he caught wind that miro was doing this data pull and has a big problem with it uh, and I love the line that Partagas says of Supervisor Miro, do you mind having your integrity ventilated in public? End quote, which shows that Partagas may be a fascist supervisor, but he still knows how to do a good turn of phrase every now oh, and then. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's, yeah. that's a great line. Yeah, yes. I, I mean, the funny thing about all of this stuff is that the show genuinely does kind of have us rooting for Dedra Miro. I know, right? (laughs) Even though what she is doing is working directly against the, like, all the good guys. She is a bad guy. And yet we're like, oh, man, but I want to see her pull one over on Blev. (laughs) I want to, like, when's Dedra going to get some recognition from her boss? I know, and in in this scene, she does, and... There's a few notable things about this scene. First of all, she used the Imperial Emergency Act to pull these data records, which I think is a direct reference to the Patriot something Act. like the Patriot Act, right? Where like people in government use a, an act that was passed for one purpose to like abuse their power for a completely different purpose. Not too subtle of a commentary, but I appreciated that it's there. Um, and she's trying to link the thefts in a coordinated effort. Now, here's the thing that I really appreciate about this whole scene, Patrick, is I'm going to draw a comparison to you for, for you. Okay. Okay. Google, Google messaging apps. Okay. Have you heard of Google messaging apps? Uh, yes, I, I'm, I'm aware. Google has been trying to launch messaging apps for approximately 16 years. And there's a great article over at Ars Technica called a decade and a half of instability, the history of Google messaging apps. Uh, and here are like a bunch of Google messaging apps, Google talk, Google voice, Google wave, Google buzz, um, Google Spaces, Google Allo, Google Duo, YouTube Messages, Google Hangouts, Google Photo Messages, Google Chat, Google Phone Messaging, etc. Like literally all actual messaging apps Google has launched. Now, in Google, if you're at Google, I'm sure it all makes sense because you're like, oh, he, that person, so-and-so, Patrick's on the Google Allo team and Dave Chen's on the Google Wave team. And of course, they're like separate teams, right? But if you're a customer looking at it, it makes absolutely no GD sense. Like it, it doesn't, why are you organized? What does one product do that the other product doesn't? It's completely unobvious to a person looking from the outside. You're and reminding me of the terrible days when uh, running your your YouTube account required using a Google Plus account. Oh, remember that? Yes. Oh, <laughs> that was God. awful. That was awful. Um, and I think, we, I think there's still like remnants of that on YouTube. Like there's still like, legacy behavior that's a result of that but uh okay why do i bring up google messaging apps is because in this scene uh 
Deidre Miro attacks the very notion of dividing up the galaxy or system into sectors, which is a system that Partagas himself introduced, according to what we understand. And Miro makes a great point, which is the rebellion doesn't think of themselves as in sectors. Like they don't think of themselves in this way. We, the empire divide up people and we're like, Hey, like Blevins in charge of Ferrix, you know, and this sector and Didra is responsible for this sector. But like, that's not how the rebels are thinking. And if we are to survive, we must also not think that way. We must repudiate the sector system of thinking. Uh, and I just thought it was a very like astute commentary on how there can often be a disconnect between how a corporation or a company or a governmental body organizes itself and what actually makes sense in the real world. Um, so anyway, I, I, I'm really liking what the show is saying about organizational behavior and bureaucracies, basically. Uh, but that is how Andor has anything to do with Google messaging apps. I love it. I rest. I rest my case. Uh, but yeah, there's a great sh- you know, scene where uh, Partagas basically praises uh, Dedra Miro for, I guess, uh, abridging civil liberties is kind of what, the best way I can summarize for abusing the Imperial Emergency Act and being like, yeah, everyone should be like Dedra Miro. Dedra Miro, come with me. Let's take a walk. And then he says, watch your back, uh, basically, because as we already know, there's a bunch of if you work in a as part of a fascist you know organization, there's going to be some people who don't like it when you get too powerful. So, uh, any other thoughts on the imperial security stuff before we move on, Patrick? Um, I'm just I, I'm, I'm I'm continually amazed at how engrossed I am in something that on paper sounds so boring. Mm-hmm. Uh, this really sounds like the last thing any of us want from Star Wars, and um, and I am I'm just I'm really. I'm I'm really enjoying all of it. I, also, like, I will. Like, I mean, you know, to, to bring up that thing that I always bring up. I just I continue to just love the way this show looks, and so I love like the uh, the like the all white design of like the the ISB offices, uh, and <laughs> I love I love the walls of that meeting room that they're in it's uh it's great and 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 i'm just i mean no i now i'm just rambling because i don't have any big observations just that i like this stuff i'm i'm yeah. very interested in how it's going and um and and also just this idea of that that dedra is talking about when she's she's saying that like basically the empire's responses to the aldani heist are exactly what basically she's like like we're playing into their hands. This is what they want us to do to suddenly just like tighten everything to like, uh, you know, like to crack down and raise taxes and basically, you know, do all these bad things that are going to piss off the people of the galaxy. Because as we, as we'll learn more about in some, in the other storylines, a big part of the idea of the Aldani heist was to kind of send like, a message out to the galaxy to uh to to, to basically motivate the empire An announcement as it were oh my yeah. god that's the title <laughs> oh my yeah david yeah. chen that's why you're the the best podcaster in the game thanks man thanks appreciate that but yeah uh this is this this is this is all good stuff and you know nice to finally see blevin get taken down a peg yeah and also uh dedra miro gets um, the ferric system 
into her like she's now in charge of that system now so right we'll see how that plays out um, yeah i think the, it does set up the karn miro uh collaboration the the karn miro collab uh potentially romance patrick I, I, I was about to say david right here right now we're gonna start shipping yes. karn and miro cyril K- Kiro, and dead hero kiro um uh marn <laughs> you know what's the what's the uh combined name you know what i'm saying Kiro. Uh, I, th- I think Kiro, Kiro was the way to Mar- go. I think Marn. Marn. We should Marn? we're shipping Marn. Or Cyril Deirdre. Cyrdra. So, um uh, Zedra. Dirl. D- uh okay. David. Yeah, we have to stop before everyone stops listening to the show. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Well anyway. That- also also uh, in the comment section, uh, you know, yeah. uh are are in via email or on Twitter or whatever, please let let us know what you think the uh the Cyril Karn Dedramiro ship should be called because look, we're we're all shipping a bunch of pasty, sickly looking fascists. All right, before we move on, Patrick, uh, where can people find more of your work on the internet this week if they're enjoying our scintillating conversation? Uh, if you love hearing me uh, talk about, I guess, semi-controversial mainstream uh, film and TV stuff, uh, <laughs> you can you can watch my videos over at uh, youtube.com slash Patrick H. Willems, where my extremely long and long in the works video about the entire filmography of Zack Snyder is about to premiere. I'm really excited about that. Check it out at youtube.com slash Patrick H. Wilms. And if you're enjoying uh, Decoding TV material, you may realize that a bunch of our shows are ending and or obviously continues through November. Um, but we are going to be recapping several new shows, and I'm going to be announcing that within the next week. So keep it tuned into podcast.decodingtv.com for more information there. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. All right, Patrick. Let's get to the other storylines. Uh, Coruscant with Luthen. We're hanging out with Luthen. He's listening on the radio, hearing what's going on. Uh, apparently, the Aldanis are getting screwed out of this situation. Uh, they are being suspected of aiding and abetting this massive theft. Uh, 134 of them, I think, was the number that was said on the radio. Luthen is listening on the radio when Mon Mothma shows up, and she seems completely shocked that Luthen has done this. And Luthen is very much like, well, you knew it was going to happen. It had to happen. I did what was necessary, that kind of thing. 
Um, but Mamothma is, again, not happy that Luthen did this, not happy that he didn't tell her. Uh, and also that he kind of usurped her authority because she thought it was her responsibility to kind of get the money that came out of this heist. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of what happens here. Um, Can I just Mamothma say? Also, Mamothma also unhappy that people will suffer as a result of this. And that's something that's clearly very important to her as already established. Go ahead. What are you going to say? Um, exactly. Uh, so what I love about this scene, uh, is that, uh, Mon Mothma also in this episode, multiple people call, call her Mon, uh, which I think is the first time we've heard. We, mm-hmm. we talked about like, do people really? Yeah. Just, yeah. Um, uh, she, she does confirm that her driver is like a plant. It's like a, basically like placed there by the ISB, uh, to just keep tabs on her. And, um, and I love this scene with her and Luthen because they're talking because it, like the, the idea is she's going to exchange the gift that she got for her husband and uh and they're they're talking there, but because the you know there's like windows on the front of Luthen's shop, the driver can see in, and so they're having to like continue to smile and look like they're having a friendly conversation while having a very intense discussion and I love the way that they will have these things where these shots where uh Luthen will be turned away from the window, will be like mm-hmm. facing the back wall and will get all serious. And then if he turns around and faces the window, <laughs> a smile immediately comes on his face. And so you'll have these parts where he's look he's facing away and like is is in kind of like, I guess, you know, other Luthen demeanor, uh the like non-Coruscant demeanor, where he's like, you know, very gruff. He's like, it had to be done. We there must be suffering so that the you know people will 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 understand why they have to fight back against uh the atrocities of the Empire. And then Mon Mothma will still be smiling and looking like she's having a happy conversation because she'll be facing the other direction. And the staging and blocking of this I thought was really effective. And also just the idea that they're ha- doing all of this while being watched just adds to like the just like the the tension of the entire thing and really helps create this feeling of paranoia that everyone seems to have on Coruscant. Yeah. Good stuff. And not to just Go keep going, but um but I had also kind of I'm not sure if I just if I hadn't been aware or what, but it didn't really hit me until this episode that Mon Mothma was not aware of the Aldani heist. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think we just assumed that she would she was involved in it somehow, right? But right. Yeah. But th- the interesting thing that this raises now is our introduction to Mon Mothma in Return of the Jedi is as one of the leaders of yeah. the Rebel Alliance. You know, waging this galactic civil war, and it's fascinating to see her now at this point when she basically like doesn't want violence at all. It's yeah. like I uh, like. So, like Luthen, who uh, who knows what happens to him by the time the original trilogy rolls around? Right. But uh, he let's take let's take bets now. Do you think he's alive at the end of Andor the series? What do you think? Uh, no. Yeah, I no, think, I don't. I think he's probably dead at the end of the series. Is my guess. Yeah, but he is clearly like a like like a, a much more intense like like founding member. Like he knows right. what has to be done. He's much closer to like, I guess. Saw Guerrera, right? And uh, yeah, and and it's interesting also is like seeing the the radicalization of Mon Mothma because here it seems like she's you know very much seems like the like I guess 
idealistic kind of like like liberal senator of being like maybe by working by mostly obeying the rules and working within the system uh we 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 can you know we can change things and uh and i i feel like she's a big arc of this series seems like it will be steadily like be her learning um i guess like what what kind of person she has to become to uh to enact the change that she wants yeah. to see yeah but i think it is interesting that basically um the characters that as we saw them in in rogue one are in a very different place right andor and mon mothma are in a very different place in rogue one than they are at this point in the series um and at the, at the by the time rogue one happens they know each other and like trust each other and so that'll be interesting to see too like yeah. they haven't met yet as far as i understand right so in fact um, Luthen has put a bounty on Cassian's head in this episode. So uh, who knows? Maybe there, maybe Andor is going to be dead by the time Rogue One happens. Who knows? And um, he has a twin brother, <laughs> also named Cassian. Uh, there is the Mon Mothma dinner party, Patrick. That I know you wanted to see. Woo! Uh, um, uh, no, no joke. My favorite scene of the episode. Yes, we see like lots of aliens, just aliens, just hanging around. You know. Doing their thing. Costumes we, are so good. Fancy little, aliens. Yes. Little treats on the table look like little macaroons and like pastries and stuff like that. Like well, really like, nice. Like, like uh, blue cocktails. Yes. Da- dainty thing. You know, dainty things you can munch on, you know. I loved it. I mean, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I loved the other stuff that was going on in the scene too, but like aesthetically. Yes. It's fantastic. Really cool. It's really cool. It's really cool. So uh, Mon Mothma meets someone named Tay, who we understand is from Chandrilla, which is Mon Mothma's homeworld. And they like grew up together and are old friends. And And he is a banker. Mm. Uh, And I really liked how this conversation unfolded because basically she needs to she wants to trust Tay because she wants to get more money. Um, She wants to siphon off more money for rebel purposes. Uh, and in order to do so, she needs Tay's help. But so she needs to tell Tay something, but she doesn't want to tell Tay everything because that would endanger him. But she can't tell Tay nothing. And so she needs to feel out whether he's trustworthy or not. And I love the kind of little dance that they do of like, my political opinions are a lot more firm. My political allegiances are a lot more extreme than maybe you remember, you know, like, and this is kind of like back and forth dance where they like reveal a little bit to each other little by little. Um very very nicely done so uh i don't have that much more to say about this scene but it, it's a cool scene where she basically enlists Tay's help and he kind of agrees to it although she is not uh she does not include him in like what's actually going on also important to note she's basically says perrin doesn't know any of this don't trust him okay smile go yeah uh, so like we know that perrin is like a threat to this whole thing yeah and i think that's probably gonna pay i think lita her daughter and perrin like one or, or both of them is going to endanger her whole deal and there's probably going to be some family schism at some point in the show right so i'm guessing that when we see mon mothma in rogue one you think on, she's going home to perrin and lita at one. home yeah i think she has ditched her family yeah. for her beliefs which this i mean the dinner party was the scene where i was like oh is mon mothma like the most interesting character on this show mm-hmm. like watching this like this i guess like ballet she has to like perform and in terms of where uh where she and and tay like how they move throughout 
throughout mm-hmm. the, this party to to avoid being within earshot of other people. And the way she dances around, never saying anything explicitly, but sort of like steering the conversation in certain ways where he will reveal a bit more about like his political leanings and to the point where she can maybe hint, uh, allude to, to hers a bit more. And, uh, and because she never directly says like, Hey, I'm trying to fund a rebellion. She's just, yes. you know, and, 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 the way she explains that the Mon Mothma that everyone sees is – that even her family sees is a front, that yeah. she is basically lying to all but like three people in the galaxy. Uh, and you – you like the amount of pressure that she – I mean granted – you know, she wasn't on like the Aldani heist, but in a different way, she's she's you know in an equally precarious situation, and uh, I th- I thought this was genuinely thrilling, and it is rich fancy people talking at a space dinner party. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, I was happy to see uh, the actor Ben Miles who plays Tay Colma. Yeah, uh, yeah. Haven't seen him. I don't know. Last time, I, I, I last remember seeing him in Speed Racer as one of the commentators. Mm. Uh, so, uh, yeah, a fun guy. All right. A few other things happen in Coruscant. Uh, we see uh, Clea, uh, Luthen's confidant, associate, whatever, s- mysteriously skulking around the city. Uh, she meets a so she's kind of dressed in red and then she meets another mysterious woman who is blonde it took me like a good 30 seconds to realize that was vel um because vel is dressed completely different her hair is done completely different um Vel's looking great. yeah uh she's obviously on curacao and not uh in all on Aldani anymore and uh they basically say hey uh i, I think luthan was hoping cassian andor would join them Right, and the idea is that if he joined them, great. But because Cassian Andor did not join them, um, he is now a loose end and needs to be taken out. And the, and they have assigned Vel to do the assassinating. Um, so I am really, I, I really like Vel. I hope like nothing bad happens to her. But we know that Cassian survives. Um, so I hope Vel survives as well. We'll see. I know. Uh, also, a th- so. I've mentioned before on the show, I just love seeing more views of Coruscant. I love the design of it. Uh, so th- so this sequence where we're mostly just like watching Clea walk through like walkways and hallways and all these things. I'm just like, great. I love seeing more of Coruscant. Also, a big thing that I learned from this episode is that if 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 you want to be sneaky in Star Wars world, you really got to wear a big hood. <laughs> because we see Clea doing it, we see Cassian, Cassian doing it yep. back on uh, back on Ferrix. Uh, like, not, like not only not only do you, if you want to be sneaky, Patrick, if you want to travel through Imperial controlled uh, places completely undetected, you know, a big this hood. Is, this is how you do it. That's yeah. all you need. That's all you need. We do get a couple of glimpses of Sinta. Sinta's alive. There was a big debate between us about whether Sinta would survive, but we see Sinta get on. Uh, speeder basically and like ride away and it's unclear where she's going exactly but she's doing what she was told quote unquote so since still alive that's lovely to see it was an open question pretty so. impressive considering that it seems like they're cracking down on the aldani people and uh yeah. i don't know how- also we we saw her on this cool uh kind of rickety speeder it's not as slick as a speeder yeah. bike um yeah. but uh yeah I, I mean i'm guessing that they wouldn't show her in that little scene there if we're not going to see more of her as the show goes on. Yeah. Andor returns to Ferrix. 
I really enjoyed this stuff because it's just cool to like visit, you know, th- these characters again after I didn't know if we'd ever see them again. Only like a week or two has passed since the time we last saw them. Um, but it's cool that we see what the consequences of Andor's uh, actions are. I mean, he is persona non grata in his hometown, right? He killed two corpos, then went home to flee. And now he has done this heist that is the toast of the galaxy. And he is back home again. Now, he, no one knows that he's responsible for that heist. Um, but he's still drawing a lot of heat. Um, he visits uh, Marva at their home, learns that Tim Carlo turned him in uh, and was really pissed about that. Now, I don't know about you, Patrick, but I thought for sure the way they were filming B2 EMO, uh, that they had installed some kind of spyware on their robot. And because they were filming it from his perspective, the robot's perspective, shallow depth of field. And I was like, why is it, why is it like the robot's like spying on them was like the visual language of the show. Um, so I thought the robot was going to like turn them in or something like that. Um, and that's what I was thinking might happen, but that's not what ends up happening. I mean, it- um, I hadn't even um, considered that. I would just thought because like, you know, B2 Emo was like was like his little friend. And uh there was like at least three or four shots that were like from B2 Emo's perspective, like looking at Andor and Marva talking, like kind of sketchily in my opinion. And he had like this red light on him too. I was like, is he gonna turn them in? You know, because that would be very because the thing is, Andor comes home, he's like, Hey, we're gonna flee. Let's go, Marva. Everything's gonna be great. And so you know something's going to go terribly wrong, right? Because like that's not just not going to happen the way. This is not the kind of story they're telling. Um, but I was surprised at what went wrong. It wasn't B two EMO turning them in. It was uh, Marva deciding she didn't want to go. There is a scene with uh, Andor and Bix uh, where Andor tries to get more information about what exactly went down, um, and he gives Bix twelve thousand credits to give to all the people w- that he owes money to. This is probably the last time they're ever going to see each other, is my guess. Um, same thing for Andor and Marva as well. But uh, any thoughts about these kind of Ferrex scenes, Patrick? Yeah, I mean, I I know we've discussed, like, will we see Ferrex again? And we did see it uh, when the, the Empire was coming in and, like, you know, uh, just setting up shop there. But I thought what was interesting about it is that, like, we're used to... Okay, going back to, like, the... the to A New Hope, the very first Star Wars movie. We're used to these things of, like, you know, seeing stories where people like Luke Skywalker, they'll uh, get snatched away on an adventure, and then they'll be like, cool, peace out, never gonna go home again. <laughs> I'm, do- I'm done forever. I have my cool new life. And I felt like it was very, it was really realistic to have this thing where it's like, no, he's just, he's gonna stop back and, like, see the people that he knows and uh and like you know go home for a little bit like uh it it, it would have been kind of strange if he just never went back to like see his you know like adoptive mother uh like this him going back felt like a really natural like believable choice for that character and i know you were mentioning at the beginning of the episode uh that uh, I guess like how he has not been radicalized yet. He is uh, how we're going to, it's going to take a while to see that journey. And what I liked about this is that he's um, his actions have radicalized Marva. And yet 
she doesn't know it was him and it has not radicalized him. Like, yeah. uh, she wants to stay because she's like, look, people sent a message that like, we can actually like resist, um, that they can't just, the empire can't just like keep us down forever. And, um, and he has, despite doing this, despite inspiring <laughs> her, he has not grasped that yet. But what I thought was really important here was this little flashback when he's sneaking around with his big hug yeah. and uh and he he's like hides around a corner uh when some stormtroopers go by and um and then we have this flashback to when he's younger and he's there with Clem his adoptive father and uh and we it, we see uh back then not stormtroopers they still had clone troopers back then um which I'm used to only seeing in CGI it was fun to see people wearing actual clone trooper costumes but we see how uh we've heard mention uh before of of clem being hanged and uh and it seems like this might be what caused it and what what uh, what led to it seems like uh clem being executed was not him resisting and fighting back against yeah. the empire it was other people throwing rocks at at uh at these imperial officers and him trying to stop them to protect them and then getting like caught as if and and being accused of being one of these uh these people resisting and so like right there you see like oh this is basically where cassian got this idea of just like staying out of it because his Mm. father like his like his adoptive father not even through his own act just like was simply accused he was in the wrong place at the wrong time right right? like people just like he was not actually fighting back and people still thought that he was and he was still killed for it so there so like right there i was like oh yeah i get why cassian just wants to stay out of all of this stuff and i really like that touch in the scene with uh with him and marva of her saying that she like that street that presumably cassian was on which is what like reminded him of this that she has just avoided walking down that street for years to avoid being reminded of what happened there uh but now because just like being so inspired by by the aldani thing that she's now actually like she she like gave her the strength to to actually just like you know walk down that street for the first time in years i was like this is this is good stuff but also cassian still just a scumbum who's just uh, in it for himself and wants to go off to space, Florida <laughs> space, Miami, basically. Yeah. Um, I think a couple cool things to just pull out of what you said there, Patrick. One is that um, this idea that, that Marva is inspired by the Aldani heist, but that, uh, you know, Smartest thing Cassian did not tell Marva that he did the, the Aldani heist because that would have been risky information for her to know. So I'm glad he didn't be like, that was me that did that. So like smart job, Cassian. Like we get the sense that Cassian is kind of an F up in the show. Uh, and I'm glad that, you know, like from the early episodes, everyone's like, oh, Cassian, he comes in, he makes a mess of things. And like, that's the kind of guy he is. Um, and so I'm glad he did not further that reputation by like telling her that he did it. But there is this idea of people can be inspired by things that weren't meant to be inspiring, right? And that is a fact in real life as well. And you think back to like, you know, all the times in human history when like something has happened either by happenstance or because of mercenaries um, that have nonetheless created a lot of change or uh, or inspired people. Um, not it's not 
the most common way that that happens, but I just think it's interesting that the show is acknowledging it does sometimes play out like that. Um, so anyway, that's, that's interesting. And then the other point is uh, that the show is trying to say um, there is no staying out of it in a fascist regime. Like you, you might think you are staying out of it, but like you are, you are taking a side by default and also you can still suffer under it. Um, and we see that with Clem and we also see that with Cassian himself in this episode. So, uh, okay. Shall we, shall we talk about, uh, space Miami? Can we please? Because, <laughs> and, and, well, and we should say Andor leaves and he's like, I will be back. So he does vow to come back and see Marva again. And, uh, I could see there being like one final scene with them, you know, because we know Cassian's going to become a leader in the rebellion and maybe that will allow him and Marva to reconcile or Marva will hopefully join his side or something, you know, but also um, since Dedra Miro is now in charge of, uh, overseeing Ferex, wouldn't surprise me if she goes to Ferex and maybe ends up questioning Mar- uh, Marva and Bix about yeah. what happened there. Yeah. yeah. I could see that happening. All right, so we go to a brand new location, Nyamos, uh, and I was like, I was like, what is going on here? As, as I was watching this, like, where is this? What are we doing? Who are we even following? Are these all new characters? Uh, what are your thoughts, Patrick, on the location? When the movie cut to, and have, have, did anyone say the name of the planet? Is it Nyamos or Niamos? Yeah. Not Nyamos. Nyamos. Yes. Okay. When they cut to this like aerial shot along the coastline where there's like palm trees and stuff. And it's like, Oh, this is no. space Miami. Um, and then Nicholas Bertel's music is just like full, like synth banger in a way that <laughs> I don't think we've ever heard anything like that in a star mm-hmm. Wars score. Please tell me in the comments why I'm incorrect. Um, and I, I was just like, this is the last thing I ever expected them to cut to. This is like, what a what what a cool fun new planet! Uh, I love to see this. I mean, this is just basically like a vacation town. Um, this is, I guess, you know the. Um, uh, oh my god! I'm uh, I'm forget. What's the name of the uh, casino world on Last Jedi? Oh, um... we were supposed to know this stuff. Cantobite. Cantobite. So the 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 super rich people go to Cantobite for vacation. The like you know the working class people they go to Nyamos, and uh, and also on a thing that I th- thought was again fair, felt like new territory for Star Wars um, was then we cut to like what seems like a hotel room where Cassian has just like had like a one night stand with a, a woman he probably met in a bar, and I'm just like so the idea. The idea of like people having sex in Star Wars still seems like so foreign. It, it it's like mm-hmm. that like doesn't exist in other movies, even if mm-hmm. like people have children. And I'm just like, you know, people don't like like go to bars and get drunk and hook up with other people. This isn't like that doesn't happen in Star Wars. But yeah, but uh she's in bed and he's got the shower running and is like going through like his his money uh and, and the stuff like basically his his share of of the heist money yeah uh he has a new um identity uh keith girgo is his new name good name and he's been sent out on a errand to buy uh pizos and revnog the greeny green ones make sure you get the pizos and revnog the greeny green ones 
Um, I have Googled this, and apparently these are new foods in the Star Wars. Like it's not like well-known foods what they were. So, uh, but there is a, uh, a a holographic ad that says "Tasty Pizos" uh, featured on a building of Coruscant. So I love uh, this. some some nice world building there. Um, but anyway, he goes out and he sees people running away from. Uh, stormtroopers, and then so he gets nervous and he starts running too, but then they mistake him for one of the enemies. Um, they drag him away, uh, and then we see a- an old friend show up, but he's not a friend at this point in time, right, Patrick? Uh, yes. Um, a uh, It's probably not specifically K2SO, but like maybe a like K- K2 series droid. I don't, <laughs> right. Sorry that I don't know the exact model name right. uh but, but it's uh, the same type of droid as k2so and rogue one exactly and, right. and this is a thing where as soon as we see the droid for a second i because i just i've so been enjoying the lack of of like easter eggs and tie-ins in this show i've been like oh is this now gonna be the story of how cassian met k2so no no it's not they just made a lot of those droids, and this one grabs him by the neck and slams him against a wall, uh, and then he goes before a judge, and because of the, like, uh, I, I guess the, like, harsher punishments, that the, because the Empire is cracking down on all lawbreakers caused by the heist that Cassian was a part of, he gets sentenced to six years in prison. Like, it is, he would have gotten a six-month sentence if, it, if he, he had not been a part of the heist in the last episode. Which is the the irony of this is uh, honestly pretty funny. Wait, what do you mean if he had not been part of the heist? What, what do you mean by that? Um, well, okay, if he had not, I should I should rephrase that. If he had not pulled that heist in the last episode, like it's because of that heist. Oh, oh that, 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 that there's so much more like intense yeah, uh, I mean, security. And the stuff. judge should, says yeah. that like this normally would be a six month sentence, right? But now right. because of this, these new like decrees from from like from higher up, this is now a six year sentence. Right. Right. Um, also, and he just, just he just barely missed the cutoff. So I mean, it's like I, this sucks so much, but it is like kind of comedic that he just tries to get away and go to like a vacation place, and literally he just wants his greeny green revnogs. He literally does or, nothing wrong. Like, he committed <laughs> the biggest crime in the galaxy, and now just by like walking and looking suspicious, he gets sentenced to six years in jail. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, also. Again, a perfect illustration of just you know the, the kind of uh, the kind of worlds that are living in with uh, under imperial rule. This is yeah. why people hate the empire. Yeah, and uh, I did get a lot of uh, Brazil flashbacks watching this scene. It's very interesting. I, I'm, I'm impressed they like built a whole new set or used a whole new location just for this courtroom scene. Yep. Um, where like they could have done it in like a, a nondescript room, but they like just did a whole kind of courtroom scene where it's like very Brazil, like where they're processing all these people, Judge Dread style, like Judge Jury Executioner, just like handing out sentences left and right. Um, it's very Brazil esque, and it's it's really what happens when you can combine like fascism and like a horribly um, uh, non-transparent or p- opaque uh, bureaucracy yeah. pretty much like this nightmarish situation that like is impossible to escape from basically that's completely devoid of any humanity whatsoever. Um, I really kind of appreciated that, that glimpse of that world. Oh yeah. Um, but, but, but here's the most important thing, Patrick, that's revealed in this episode is we find out that 
pistachios exist in the Star Wars universe? Because that's what that woman who is running the judge, you know, the sentencing stuff, she's like eating pistachios and they're getting on the console, if I recall correctly. Did you yeah. see that? Yep. Yeah. So, But are they called pistachios there? Unclear. Unclear. For now, I'll just call them space pistachios. But there you go. Anyway, uh, Andor gets sentenced to six years in jail. Um, so, dude, do you think the rest of season one and season two are going to happen in jail? And we're just following Andor in jail? What do you think? Uh, yeah, and he has a lot of free time on his hands. And so he finally reads uh, uh, Nemex Nemex Manifesto. Manifesto over and over again <laughs> until he knows it by heart. Um, I mean, my guess is that the next arc will uh, a chunk of it will be cassian in jail really interesting yeah interesting which uh you know a turn i never expected this show to take but i'm excited to find out you know uh where this is all leading i just i i never know what to expect week to week on andor I think Vel's going to uh, try to assassinate him, but in doing so, she's going to have to break him out of jail, or she's going to have to get to the jail, and then they're going to have an interaction where he convinces her to break him out um, in exchange for maybe joining the rebellion. That's kind of where I think this is heading. I mean, so I'm putting my guess out there. I, the thing that I think is very clear about this show is, and I'm, I'm sure it was part of Tony Gilroy's whole pitch for it, is that that joining up with the the rebellion and like dedicating your life to this higher cause is not as simple as oh you meet one person have a nice conversation or like you see the empire do one bad thing go like you know what i got to fight back about uh, i got to fight back against that it is it is a um a person needs a lot of events and a, lo- a lot of incidents in their life to steer them in that direction, to be- to radicalize them. Radicalization mm-hmm. is not as simple as like talking to Namek or even as like as simple as like, Oh, right. Reading his book and being like, you know what? He's right. Time to give up all my other goals in life. And like, you know, and pledge everything toward this. It's complicated. And, uh, and I think that's, that's why it's taking a while for Cassian to get there because we have seen all these reasons why he doesn't want to do that. Why that? Why, yeah. why joining up with it with a rebellion uh, kind of goes against how he's been living his life this entire time. Indeed. Well, we will see where Cassian's journey takes him. Uh, but I agree. It's it's interesting. He's he's basically a side character in the show at this point, and also hasn't changed very much in the last seven episodes. So I am curious, like, where they're going to take this character, who is the namesake of the show. But I'm equally as invested in all the other plot lines right now. So I'm still very much enjoying this. Oh, yeah. So, All right. Uh, that's going to do it for us here on Decoding TV. You can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. And find us on TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube at Decoding TV. Uh, that is going to do it for us. We'll see you next week for another recap of Andor. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. And don't forget to tell us your names for the Dedramiro Cyril Karn ship that we're all very invested in. Thank you. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.